It's May 18th, 2007, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Today's guest is Joel Gray, and you are likely familiar with him from his numerous roles on both stage and screen, including his Tony and Oscar-winning performances as the MC in Cabaret. But along with his accomplishments as a performer, Joel, for the last 30 years, has discovered a passion for photography. And while there are many actors such as Sammy Davis Jr., Joel Brenner, and Roddy McDowell who have turned to the camera as a creative outlet, Joel has turned his camera not to the world of Hollywood and Broadway, but rather to the streets of New York, Venice, and elsewhere, capturing images of of the common and the mundane. As the title of his latest book suggests, Looking Hard at Unexamined Things, Joel turns his camera to subjects that many of us pass by every single day, but which Joel uses as a palette for his work. Though the images exhibit a strong sense of color and texture and pattern, it's interesting how he reveals the presence and impact of people without actually showing them. And what is very interesting about his story is that despite a lack of formal training, he has developed a wonderful eye by utilizing his own intuition rather than depending on the latest technology. So I hope you enjoy our conversation with Joel Gray. Joel, welcome to the Candid Frame. It's it's great to have the opportunity to interview you for the show. My pleasure. Well, let's start um, with your beginnings as a photographer. Uh, you've been shooting for about thirty years, and I read that you picked up a Nikon camera while you were in London during the time that you were filming for for Cabaret. Um, what what led you to want to pick up the well, camera? Well, I was in London after the movie of Cabaret, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, it was uh, Nickermatt that a friend of mine who was a photographer I'd just been taking pictures of, of my kids since they were born and just lots of pictures and wanted to take pictures of everything and she said you should have a good camera <laughs> <laughs> and that's it and that's the camera that I took most of the pictures for both books I'm still schlepping around this heavy camera oh yeah it, it weighs a ton but it, it, I'm just devoted to it well, and I had a, uh, a situation where I hadn't used it for a number of years, mm-hmm. and I knew I was going to go on a trip to uh, to see Machu Picchu in Peru. Okay. And I thought, I want to take this camera, because I'd been using some other little cameras. So I took it out, and of course it didn't work at all. I hadn't used it in about six years. And I took it to Sammy's camera, and they said, oh, no, this will never work. To get the parts would be far too expensive, you know, mm-hmm. hundreds of dollars, and you might as well buy a new camera. And I said, I don't want to do that. So they said, well, we'll certainly try. And um, so I let it go, and about three months later, they called me, and they said, it's $125, and it's fixed. Hmm. <laughs> And it's been working ever since. Oh, that's fantastic. Those, yeah, those cameras cool. can last forever. 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I saw, when I look through your images, I see that you focus a lot on uh, what you respond to a lot seems to be like um, abstractions of, of strong color, texture, shape. And when did that start developing? Because as you just said, you started probably taking pictures of a family when you took the trips. But when did you Yeah, because there are no people in my books, essentially. Yeah. Very few. Um, I don't know. I think I've always been... I've always been taken with um, pictures. I remember there was a photographer in Life magazine called Elliot Eliasoffen, and his pictures of of um, exotic places mm-hmm. always kind of thrilled me. And so I, I find that I was looking at at uh, color in that way, and I've kind of always shot with color. And um, at some point, I realized that I became very interested in details and abstractions and why things were, why things drew me uh, to these objects or these situations, um, these um, sort of things that didn't make any sense, but ultimately when I, I saw them, they they made sense to me, and I never thought they would necessarily make sense to anybody else, uh, and it didn't matter. And so I um, I started taking these pictures, and some artist friends of mine said, you should be doing something with these. I said, what? <laughs> they said, you should be going to a to a lab and see what's really on these negatives because my photographs were always taken into Walgreens or Photomax or the neighborhood place. I never paid much attention to developing because I never thought of myself as a serious photographer. I just thought it was my joy and my pleasure. And um, so I started to see the, the potential of printing and how much more there was actually that I remembered from the experience of taking the photograph uh, that was not in these um, four by sixes. Mm-hmm. And so I became fascinated with that and started to to make a number of prints in the um, you know at the uh, studio. And the next thing I know, somebody was over at my house and they, a friend and said. Oh, these are good. I think this could be a book. It was just really like that. And I said, please, uh, it's ridiculous. I'm an actor. He says, no, let me, let me take these. And he did, and he, um, he created a narrative from these very disparate pictures. And immediately, almost immediately there were two um, publishers that wanted to make this book. What was from there? Pardon. What was that experience for, for you in terms of when, when, you know, particularly when when the book uh, first book came out, uh, pictures I had to take. It's oftentimes the relationship of different pictures to each other um, are, is very important in terms of the overall layout of the book. As that process was happening, did you get a new sort of awareness or appreciation for what you were doing when you suddenly saw that you know the the relationships that were being created by juxtaposing one image to another that you hadn't hadn't really seen yes. you taking? It? Yes, this um, this editor saw something further than I did. I never would have been able to 
um, imagine those pictures in that order, in the way in which they revealed themselves. And by doing that first book, I started to see what I really wanted to look at further, and it was a, another further abstraction. And, like, there's a picture in the first book of um, train tracks at Machu Picchu. Mm -hmm. Red, like a big red steel um, piece on the tracks. And I was very, I don't know, I just thought it was iconic and interesting and mysterious. And I realized that that was the beginning of my looking at the world and objects and and uh, everything I was looking at in a very different way. And it became very much more specific. Mm -hmm. And the second book is much more of a piece, in my belief. When I, when I looked at the images, I, of course, it was immediately drawn, you know, to the your use of color and shape, repeating patterns and such. But when I started looking at them as a whole, I think one of the things that I kind of picked up on was even though there aren't actually people in, in many uh, of these images, that the presence of, of people is really, really comes across. Uh -huh. And I thought it was really interesting that 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 you focus on elements that sort of um, reveal the presence of humanity, but elements that are really oftentimes in in decay or in a state of you know state of change or, or or being reabsorbed by 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 nature, um, which I think is really kind of interesting, and it seems to pervade your work. Have is that something that you've you've recognized at all in, in it? I uh, no, actually, I didn't. But I think in the in the looking back, uh, I am attracted to the, as I say in the book, the bruised and broken things and somehow memorializing them. And uh, a friend of mine saw like a half a dozen of the pictures from this book, and she, was, she found them too, too frightening and too dark. Hmm. And I thought that was really interesting, and then I realized that there are there are elements in these in these uh, subjects in these uh, images that that ha have a uh, melancholy about them, even though they seem to be brightly colored and so forth. Mm -hmm. The there is an underbelly of of something. Maybe sad or touching. I don't know, but mm. uh, I started to see it and feel it, and I didn't actually. After the second show was up, and I everybody thought it was, uh, you know, they liked it, and I was very pleased with it. Only then was I able to remind myself of the experience of looking at these pictures, which. In fact, often was very disturbing. Hmm. But I, I blocked that out to make them, to see them as beautiful. I got you, yeah. I wonder, you're, you know, you're, you have a lot of years of experience in the, in the theater and, and in film. And how does, how does your, your work as an actor, particularly in respect to your sort of awareness of the use of light, 
um, use you know use of color of of how the camera sees things influence the way you use your camera to to create. I really can't say really? that okay. because it's all <laughs> there's, there's not nothing planned. It's just my sensibility, and I realize there are a lot of pictures that are sort of like um, theatrical. Um, even sometimes as much as a proscenium arch, mm-hmm. and the way in which the pictures are framed, it sort of um, has a, a theatrical sensibility often. But that's none of it is planned. See, I see. That I'm, I really shoot from the hip. You you live uh, primarily in New York, and I guess you go between here and Venice, and I guess some of these images were shot in other cities. So and. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, just walking the streets sort of and with your camera and then you just find things and just respond things. T- tell me about that whole process for you. Is it just sort of a, a sort of an organic thing where you just pick up your camera and you just go out to shoot and decide to go in a particular direction and see what happens? Is that is that I kind of it it's it's not something that that I do on a daily basis. And I think that's probably because that camera's so damn heavy. <laughs> that it's not really something you just sort of take with you. So uh, when the when I get, uh, I don't even know what it is, but one day I just think, I'm going to go out and see what I can see. Let's see what there is to see and see if there's anything that needs by me mm-hmm. to be shot. And that's kind of how it happens. And then... There's no, there's no shape or, or plan. And what's your process now in terms of evaluating your images? Um, do you just get a proof sheet that has all the uh, the shots, or are you still printing, you know, four by sixes and sort of looking through them? What's your what's your process for being able to determine determine which images work for you and which which don't? Well, I think I learned my lesson that I need to have them them um, developed by a good developer, <laughs> and I just can't go to Walgreens anymore. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I mean, I'm still not necessarily taking them to a fancy lab, but I'm at least going to somebody who knows what they're doing. And some of the uh, prints, I guess, for the exhibit were as big as, as 40 by, by 60. Uh, I think they were 30 by 40. 30 by 40? Okay. The Irish prints, yeah. What was, how, how did you see your images when you saw them blown up? What sort of... Because um, you know, like you said, you were used to seeing your images in just four by six, and to see them enlarged, how did that change not only your experience of the, of the image, but the experience of the people who came to, to see the exhibition, who may have, well, may have oh, not seen oh, the work before? A lot of people, you know, saw the book first, and the book uh, needed to be that size. That somehow became part of the design. But I had always envisioned these pictures big. And even when I was playing with them in the size of the book, I was making them 11 by 14 mm-hmm. uh, to, to sort of see. And I always envisioned them as being big. But, you know, people think that, oh, they were meant to be small. I said, no, they were always kind of meant to be big. And they were uh, somehow they found another life as uh, a part of this book mm-hmm. looking hard. But I, I really always meant for them to be large. 
I'm sure they look really impressive. I've not had a chance to see the enlargements, but just I can imagine what they look like just just looking at the pictures in in the in the book and on and on the site. Um, their their strong color and the the graphic quality, I think, really lends itself to to those big enlargements. Well, it's the first time that I I actually went to a gallery um, with this material to hopefully hopefully to find um, a place to show this work, and the. The gallery owner was this big fancy place that I was sent to. Um, he liked the work, and he said, um, "Do you know what Iris prints are?" And I think he brought out some uh, an Eggleston print. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said, "I think your 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 work would really uh, adapt itself well to that." Um, to that um, medium, and I looked at it and I said, "Oh, I like that." And I, he said, "I know a, a printer who does this work," and he gave me the name. And I said, "Oh, I know him in Washington, a fellow named David Adamson." And um, so I called him and I said, in the hopes that I might get this guy to show my work, I said, "Will you make a few prints for me?" 30 by 40, because that's how I saw them. Yeah. And um, so he made some, and they were, you know, speculative for me. They were fairly costly. And then, I, and I, I, I really loved, I loved the painterly aspect of the iris printing, the inkjet uh, look on that watercolor paper. Mm-hmm, yeah. I just... I went crazy. I mean, I knew that's what I wanted to do then, as soon as I saw it. And um, so that's how that came about. That you know that the show was done that way. Yeah. One of the things that I'm, I'm kind of curious about is that oftentimes when um, people who do who are known for doing one thing venture out into into other work, there's often a surprise that people have. You know that you know here you are, and they also. They also say, "Prove it to me." <laughs> right, and, and that's a question. They're resistant. Yeah, and I, and people, I, I don't think that. people like for artists to do more than one thing. Generally speaking, I think it makes people nervous and makes them lose. Um, you know, if, if you're good at one thing, who, who do you think you are? <laughs> And I just think that the creative person and the creative um, instinct comes out in all kinds of ways. Yeah, because there are some great examples of actors who have been real accomplished photographers, like, you know, Yul Brynner, Roddy McDowell, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. uh, are the ones that. Yeah, but they all shot showbiz. And they were about, you know, memorializing their world. There's nothing that never interested me in that kind of um, journalism. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I like their books, but as you can see, I went as far away from uh, representative kind of work and, and, or representational. And, but concerning how you were, you know, recognized for for one work, was there a sort of trepidation about coming out and sharing this work? You, you know, bet. 
So how did you overcome that? How did you finally get past that and to the point that not that you not only shared it with other people, but you know, got to the point where you were willing to exhibit it and, and put it in a book? Here's what I did. I actually unconsciously went to every creative person that I knew, especially if they were painters or photographers, and I knew a great deal of them because I was I'm a collector. And I always loved other people's work. I never thought mine, you know, was ever in that, in any kind of league. And I still don't. But uh, I didn't think that mine, my work was anything that was showable. So I went to every one of these tough, very talented people. And I said, please, don't let me make a fool of myself. Tell me not to do this. And nobody did. Hmm. So I, I started to get some courage and confidence, and then I just dove off the board. These are all the photography and the acting and the, and the performing all come from I think from the same from the pool, but they're manifesting themselves in 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 much different ways. But I'm wondering about sort of the the process, particularly when it comes to challenging yourself. I can imagine that as an actor, you'll you may consider a role because it's not something that you've done before, and that it's and it's going to require you to to tap into some sort of vein that you may have not explored before and then and that seems to be very very important to me yeah and to, how, how's whenever it? i read a when i read a script and i think to myself i can't do this or how the hell am i going to do this it's something i usually choose to do and how do you do that with your photography how does that manifest itself in in the work that you you go out and shoot well, I don't know. I mean, I think to to be to do it in the first place has some of those elements. Yeah. Uh, and then I just I just go out and look at what I want to look at, and am delighted and surprised when other people find it um, slightly interesting. <laughs> What do you find yourself responding to when you when you look at other other people's work? Um, are you looking at, at work that is really markedly different from the the stuff that you're producing? Or yeah, almost all the, the that I've collected. Do we have to wait for this phone number phone to go off? Okay, I won't answer it. It's barely coming up, so we can just move through it. You can yeah. Um, the photographs that I've collected over the years have nothing, nothing to do with, with my work. Maybe some of the paintings mm -hmm. that I've been um, attracted to have had uh, that. And I guess, oh, I guess I, I forgot to mention, I, I kind of always wanted to be a painter. Oh, okay. And so friends of mine came to the gallery and walked in, and they were looking, and they said, gee, these are beautiful paintings. I wonder where Joel's photographs are. <laughs> well, maybe it's upstairs. <laughs> so I guess that the painter in me um, had something to say, because I can't paint. I don't think I can anyway. Did your your interest in collecting photographs come as a result of you starting to pick up the camera and going out to shoot, or did that? I don't think so. 
Okay. I think I've just always been drawn to, um, you know, to the greats, to Walker Evans and um, Ache and, you know, Bravo. Diane Arbus was one of the first pictures I ever bought. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura Gilpin. Dwayne Michaels. Um, I have a lot of his work. And I saw that he did the uh, forward for your book. Excuse me? And I see that he did the forward for your, for your book. Yes, he did. He, he became uh, a friend. And, of course, I, just, I never realized some of these things, I guess, until we're talking about it now. But I have been photographed as an actor. So I became curious about photography from that aspect, too. Because Dwayne took my pictures, uh, took my photograph for a magazine a long, long time ago. So naturally, I started to look at other work of his. And before I knew it, um, I was a collector. And who did you learn from? Did, were, did you just, from the friendships that you developed from these photographers and in dial? About involved? how to take pictures? Yeah, how to take pictures, how to, and not so much how to take pictures and, you know, how shutter speed, aperture, but really the, the growth of any photographer is really about learning how to see, how, learning how to, you know, learning what to include and exclude in, in the frame in order to make a, an effective I have program. no idea. I think that's, that's just, this just comes from, some intuitive place mm. because uh, it's nothing planned. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no worries there. I wish I, I wish I could, um, in some way, document it because then it could be repeated. But it's uh, it's strictly intuition. Well, it's great intuition because one of the things I really like about the the images and something that I'm always talking to with the with a lot of the students that I I, I teach is the idea of being completely aware of your frame, and that oftentimes well, I've gotten I must say that the first book there was a great deal of um, cutting and cropping. Mm-hmm. And the second book, almost everything was, I, that's what I learned from the first book, uh, almost nothing was cropped. So I found, I thought, I learned from the first book about what I really wanted to look at, and it was all in the, um, in the print. So as you went out there and you started shooting, shooting subsequently, you were actually just cropping in the camera rather than... Oh, I, didn't, I didn't think about it. But that's what the um, the ultimate um, result was, and I didn't realize until it was finished that uh, that was the difference. Mm. Tell me about the process of putting together the, the second book as compared to the first one. Were you working with the same editor or a different editor? I was. Okay. And yep. How was that? How was that driven from the the first time around? Um. What really happened is that the first book came out, and as I say, I learned something from it, and I needed to stop, start making new work and see what else there was for me to do and say, and if there was anything else, you know, you don't know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I started shooting, and I, I realized that the images were different, and I kept sending them 
to Sam. And he said he really liked them, but he said he had no idea what to do with them. But he said, just keep them coming. <laughs> so I just kept shooting for about a year, and I just kept sending stuff over there that I liked. And um, he, luckily, I mean, you know, none of this would have happened had not somebody else seen um, merit mm-hmm. in it and uh, had an idea that it it should be whatever it became. And his his belief in it really helped me to just kind of per- persevere and go on. And finally, one day, he had really a lot of images, and uh, I saw some an artist who's one of my favorite artists, um, <clears throat> someone reviewing in the New York Times, mm-hmm. and it said, it's as if he's looking hard at, um, <laughs> what's the name of my book? Looking hard at unexamined things. Yes. It's as if, <laughs> Glad I could help no, you. Just, he, yeah, he said it's, um, he said the artist is looking hard at unexamined things. And I said, hmm, that feels like what I do. Yeah. And I called the editor and I said, I just read this. He said, oh, he said, now I know what to do. And now I know how to make the book. And that was it. Yeah, and I think I, I suspect there's probably a, a, a bit of joy involved in in being able to create something that's a, a beautiful photograph, a, a photograph that really makes people stop and look from the very fabric of things that people continually pass by every day that they they, they choose to ignore. And yes. Yeah, friends of mine say, "Oh, I saw something the other, the other day that I passed a million times." And all of a sudden, I saw it. And, you know, they, they sort of said that, that that came from looking at my book. Is that one of the more gratifying aspects of, of sharing your work, or has there been no. another experience? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I just think it's, um, it's, uh, it, it's sort of charming. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, what has been know. what has been gratifying about sharing your work and being able to express your oh just ha- having other people like what what really pleases me that's the that's the big thrill mm. and uh, since the the publication of the of this book are you still continuing to explore the you know the streets uh, in much the way you have before or are you finding yourself sort of going in slightly different directions as as you pro- progress as a photographer? I'm not really sure what I'm going to do next. And I may investigate another format, you know, uh, another kind of camera, um, and, and see what comes from that. I don't know. You know, whenever I finish something... Uh, I'm I'm sort of stopped for a bit and sort of like sitting back and taking it all in mm-hmm. and then and wondering whether or not I'll be inspired again until I get inspired. 
but you know with with actors and everybody you just wonder whether you'll you'll ever be able to do it again yeah because it's really about something mysterious and uh, magical that ultimately gets under your skin and pushes you forward and then there are all these terrific artists who never get another idea so there's always that possibility yeah and that keeps the fire burning though mm-hmm. and it keeps the fire burning though well and the wonder yeah i wonder i wonder what's next i wonder what i can do i wonder what um wonder what they're going to look like because these this second show looked so different from the first okay well it's fantastic work and I've really enjoyed finding it and, and exploring it uh, over the last week. So, um, But the last question I, I, I leave for each photographer is I ask them to recommend one photographer whose work they really um, think that listeners should go out and explore. Um, so who would that one photographer be for you and why? Hmm, that's interesting. Um I am very drawn to the work of Andy Goldsworthy. And and also um what kind of work does he do? He does um site installations and photographs them. And, that, and they disappear. Um you look him up. He's he's incredible, and he has a this is just an amazing video of his work, a film that came out. Okay, that's um, just I just love it, just love it. Uh, so he's he's kind of an inspiration, and um, I don't know, I, I I don't know. It's it's actually more. I think in some ways that that the most influential person, artist, on my photography is is not a photographer. It's a, you know, an artist by the name Richard Tuttle. Tuttle, T-U-T-T-L-E. Okay. I also love Gordon Matta Clark. That work absolutely feels very connected and, and um, familiar to me. Well, those are some great recommendations. Uh, I'm sure that our, our, my listeners are going to take a, take a listen and, and uh, go check out some of those people and their work. But yeah. well, thank you so much for making the time today. It's been great to have I've you. I've enjoyed it. Talk to you. My pleasure. Well, thank you for joining me for another episode of The Candid Frame. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. Until next time, this is Ivarian X. Perella, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com